head together as we worship you and as we praise you and as we ultimately become just that little bit more like you. Uh, God, I pray for this word that we're about to share together, that you would speak life into us, that you would form us, that you would mould us. And as we get into the series of the way, we would truly learn what it's like to walk in the ways of you. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you. You can be seated. Well, um, as Pastor Paul shared just before, we're beginning a series of messages that we've called The Way. And really, uh, there's a couple of different phrases that we can use to describe what this series is all about. But uh, the way I see it is we're really going to be asking the question, what does a first century faith look like in the 2020s? What does it look like to to see the faith that Christ set for us through the eyes of the early church? And uh, with this series, we're really hoping to, in many ways, go back to the basics and to go through some real practical ways that we can develop and ways that we can increase our faith in a day-to-day basis. And I really see this series serving three different types of people. So you may find yourself in this category uh, or at least one of these categories. The, the first one is perhaps you're sitting in this room and you don't know God. You don't know Jesus. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And I wanna let you know, this is a perfect series to jump on board with because we really wanna introduce you in a way to the very basics on what it means to follow Christ. And especially if in your past you've had bad experiences with the Christian faith. This is an incredible uh, journey to go on with us as we get to really just just get rid of a lot of muck and a lot of baggage that might come with our faith. Uh, The second one is perhaps you do have a faith in Jesus, but you're on the verge of giving up on your faith. Or maybe you're going through a crisis or perhaps perhaps it's even just a dry season that you're experiencing at the moment. And I really believe that through this season, we're gonna be able to, to breathe life back into your faith, that we're going to be able to bring zeal back into your faith. And I want to encourage you to keep coming for these next few weeks and to just ask God, would you just just do something in me again? Would you just breathe something in you and me again? Because I know that He wants to do exactly that over these next few weeks. And maybe you are in this room and you're absolutely on fire for God. And I want to let you know there's good news because there's even more that He wants to give you. There is more levels that He wants to give you. There's more depths He wants to give you. And I want to let you know, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what He has planned for you. And there's going to be so much that you're going to be able to receive through this series. Um, So tonight, what I want to do is really do a teaching style of message for the next few moments. We're going to go really practical. There's going to be, uh, I'll give you a warning, a a lot of scriptures and a a few points that we're going to go through together. But really tonight, the aim of this message, the aim of uh, this evening as we begin to lay the foundation of this series is to ask the question, uh, what does it mean to be an apprentice or a follower of Jesus when he's physically absent? And also, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? 
Now, these might seem like some fairly, especially the last one, a fairly obvious answer, but I find that a lot of the time, as I mentioned before, there, there can be a bit of baggage or a few different modes that we can go down when we hear the word Christian. Um, and, and really what we're wanting to do is, yes, look at some real practical ways on what it means to be a Christian or to be a follower of Jesus, but I also wanna be abundantly clear, this isn't us talking about how to get salvation. We're not talking about how to work your way to God. We're not talking about how to work your way into the graces of Jesus. Um, but instead, we realise that the things that God has given to us is a free gift from Him. He has set us apart, not by our own doing. There's nothing we can add to our own salvation, but instead it's from our salvation that we are able to live out the things that we're going to talk about. I love what it says in the book of Colossians in chapter three. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things below. So tonight, what we're gonna do is revitalize our zeal for God by broadening our understanding on what it means to follow Him. Um, I, I wonder if you've ever noticed, with children, right, how much they love to play pretend all the time. So I've got an eight-year-old sister. Her name's Amelia. You'll see a photo of her up on the screen in a second. And um, she's phenomenal. She is uh, full of beans, she is constantly buzzing with energy and she loves to play constantly. And she's also bossy. She is so, so bossy. But um, it was incredible. We got to spend some time with her uh, last weekend for Father's Day. So uh, my, my dad lives about two hours away and we went out for dinner with him. And when we rocked up, immediately Amelia was just absolutely just firing off all cylinders, excited to just be alive. And immediately she was just constantly asking us questions or telling us about her day or telling us about what she did. And, and she was really just struggling to contain herself while we're in this you know, fancy Indian restaurant just trying to enjoy ourselves. And she's just really struggling to stay still and is just so amazed by everything that's going on around her and wanting to talk about literally everything and anything all at once at the same time. And we, we get to the end of dinner, right? And we... Uh, I'm starting to pay and we're, we're sorting all of that out. And Amelia comes up to me and asks me the most important question a child could ever ask you. Do you want to come back and play with me? <laughs> and I'll be honest, in that moment, I, I had a bit of an inner conflict or an inner war because um, there's the... Uh, disgusting adult in me who's like just not fun and just constantly wanting to just be sensible going, oh, but I need eight hours of sleep. It's a two hour drive back. Um, we actually had to move house on Monday. So it's like, I'm pretty tired. I want to save my energy for that. And then my inner child just bubbles up and is like, dude, what happened to bouncing on trampolines until midnight? What happened to playing PSP constantly? What happened to having absolutely no boundaries and what junk food you ate? What happened to all of that? So we, in that split second, we're having that inner war and we ended up coming to a bit of an inner resolve of going, okay, we'll, we'll play for 20 minutes, all right? And she was like, okay, great, because she knew it wasn't gonna last for 20 minutes. It was gonna be way, way longer. Spoiler alert, we weren't there for 20 minutes. But the fascinating thing is from the moment we got back home, she, she took us up to her 
uh, to her playroom and immediately we were doing basically just different variants of playing pretend or just trying out different roles or trying out different characters. Um, the first thing that she did, and this is the, the fascinating I found, is a lot of the time she likes to just pretend like she's doing boring adult things. <laughs> like things we just never consider or, or care about. So what she did was start cooking for us and uh, we were pretending that we were in a cafe and she was serving us and she was giving us coffees and cakes and the worst customer experience I've ever had. I ended up getting kicked out, by the way. Um, and then after that, it was going to, to play doctor where she would pretend to be a doctor and she would just be uh, examining me and poking me and um, telling me of all these different ailments I have and how she needs to fix me and it's an emergency. And... To cap it all off, as we were about to leave, we go into the front yard and she tells me about how she's now an acrobat. And she's going, do you want to see a cartwheel? And I was like, of course I want to see a cartwheel. She did the worst cartwheel I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so, but the response, of course, is, that's great, you're an acrobat. I absolutely love it. And the funny thing is that constantly her life is in one way or another trying to play pretend or trying to uh, give a certain role over her name and then playing it out. And it's, it's awesome for children, of course, that's them trying to just develop and figure out who they're gonna be or who they're gonna become or what they wanna do with their lives. And it's cute and it's adorable. And even though it was the worst cartwheel I've ever seen, it was like the sweetest thing I've seen in the world and absolutely love it. It's like the best thing about children. They're just so excited about making you coffee and cake and, and pretending to be a doctor. And, it's phenomenal seeing them play pretend, giving themselves a title and then trying to work it out. But we also know at the same time, they really don't know what they're saying they are. Like, she's not a doctor. <laughs> at least I really hope so. Don't go to that hospital. I don't, like, she, she's got great potential, maybe in like 20 years time, but my word. And we see children um, as, as they start to grow up and put in these titles and it's cute, but eventually it gets to a time where if you give a title to yourself without realising the substance, it becomes damaging. Or at the very least, it just becomes frustrating. We all know the person who's going to get really serious about their health and they haven't been to the gym in months. They, they, they don't know what the commitment is. They don't know what it takes to really do the things that they say that they are. And um, there's countless examples that we can find of this, but perhaps uh, one of the most extreme ones we can see is people who give themselves the title of Christian while not fully realising the substance or what comes with that statement. And before I come across as judgy, I want to be the first to put up my hand and say, I have done that more times than I care to admit. Where I've given myself the title of Jesus follower while being completely oblivious to what it means and not really letting it affect my life in any kind of way. And um, the, the big problem with this is that there is such a huge distance between perhaps the 21st century Western idea of Jesus compared to the first century Jewish rabbi idea of Jesus. And we've seen this have such a huge impact 
both personally, but also as a, as a faith globally, where if you've been in the church long enough, you might be feeling that there's some certain pockets of our faith that seem to just be falling apart. Or even in ourselves, we, we feel at times there are people around us who, who say all these things and yet they don't seem to be able to quite live it out. And this was really seen by uh, the great philosopher who, um, who kind of prophesied this almost. His name was Dallas Willard. And he said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or by culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. Steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. I think it's, it's uncanny how deeply he saw this need almost 20 years ago. And really, he, he breaks it down so well that Christian isn't just a tick box on a census. It isn't just something that you put down in a medical emergency. It isn't just something that you, you got from your parents. It's truly something that impacts every sphere of your life. He breaks it down as students, apprentices, and practitioners. So really tonight, for the rest of the time that we have together, I'd love for us to broaden our understanding of that word, Christian. Um, because I found that that title itself can be fairly problematic. At the early church time, it was just used as an offensive slur against people who followed Jesus. And even today, it, it can if you're anything like me, bring some thoughts of maybe a bit of a vanilla or surface level understanding of Christ. And it's sort of compatible with the way that uh, the first century church was able to see Jesus. It, it might in fact surprise you to know that the word Christian is only used three times in the entire Bible. And instead there are 15 other words that are used to describe our faith. And what we're going to do is we're not going to kind of break down every single one of those one of those words, but instead what I've done is I've categorized these into four different statements or four different areas that it reveals. So when you're given a title or a name, for example, um, a doctor, you get that title and it makes you think, okay, that person is really advanced. Most of the time we think a medical doctor, or at the very least, they're very much advanced in a certain path or in a certain career. And in the same way, we're going to talk about how these different titles reveal different things about our faith. So the first categories is these titles that reveal how I see Jesus. And it's very real and um, substantial because there were titles such as Galileans or Nazarenes. This was to acknowledge the fact that Jesus was a real person. I don't know about you, but, and this is maybe not a great setting to admit this, but a lot of time I forget that Jesus was a real person. Like he, he wasn't just an idea. He wasn't a myth. He was a real flesh and blood person 
person. He was born, he uh, got hungry, he, he slept, he experienced the, the, the joys of a wedding or the sorrows of a funeral. He experienced just the normal boring Monday of a, a mundane of a Tuesday afternoon. He experienced it all. And uh, in all fairness, it's, it's easy for us to forget that fact, especially considering he was a man who lived in 30 AD Israel, which might as well just be a mythical land like anything else for 2022 Caloundra. But nonetheless, for these people, he was as real as it gets. He was a real flesh and body person. He was the eternal embodied into an impossible man. That somehow God in all of His goodness and all of His creation and all His ability was able to put Himself into a body that is just like yours and mine. It says it in Colossians chapter 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And He continues to say in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus made himself one of us. He relates us or he relates to us in every possible way and therefore is able to empathize with us on the deepest possible level. The second thing this reveals is how I see myself. And out of this, we get to see titles such as the elect or uh, righteous or the saints. And really these titles remind us of exactly what God did for us. That as we see ourselves as righteous, as the saints of God, we remember exactly what Christ did for us, that we are the very righteousness of God Himself. And there was nothing I did to contribute to it. There's nothing I could do to get right standing with embeds because of the grace that He gave to me and the revelation He freely expressed to me that I have now been made completely clean. My nature has completely been changed. So where I was once compelled to do evil, I've now been compelled to do good, to be able to see the kingdom of God here on earth with His glorious work through me. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, the third thing that these titles reveal is how I see other Jesus followers. So with this, we see different titles such as friends, brothers, and children of God. And I, I love these specific choices of words because they remind me that I am now adopted into a new family. That it is not just a solo act, but instead it is a new lifestyle I get to live with people who have experienced somehow the same grace as I have as well that with it, I've now got a people group and a belonging where I can share my highest highs and my lowest lows. And really it, with it gives us an identity to know that we are one and we are many, that we are the bride of Christ and that we are the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. Um, with that, it says in Romans chapter 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And fourth and uh, final thing that these titles reveal to us, and this is 
really where we're going to go for the rest of, of this message. It reveals how the rest of the world sees the followers of Jesus. This is where we get those titles such as Christian, but it's also how for the majority we get these titles of followers of the way. And really it was a way for us to, or a way for other people to describe exactly what God was doing in the early church. Because they had no way of understanding really the depths of what God was doing. They just knew people were starting to do things differently. That they were once one way, but now they're another way. And really you don't notice someone is a different way until you meet them. And you don't know you're in a certain way until you meet someone who isn't like that. Uh, A great example of that is right now I'm in Australia, so I don't have an accent. I, I just talk like everyone else. But if I go to literally any other country, I'm now the weirdo. I'm the one who has a different way of talking. And in the same way, we, we see that as people came to know Jesus, it was almost as if the accent of their life began to change. And so people would notice and go, there is a different way you go about things. They are followers of a different way. They were followers of the way. And really we see Jesus so perfectly teach this way um, as He would call His disciples to literally follow every footstep behind Him. They would eat with Him, they would pray with Him, they would share every micro moment with Him until they themselves became so ingrained with the ways of Jesus. But for this, it naturally brings us to a a bit of a tricky question, which is looking at the disciples and looking how they got the opportunity to follow Jesus and to walk with Jesus and to be apprenticed by Jesus, we then go, okay, that's, that's fine and great for them, but how on earth am I supposed to be apprenticed to Jesus? What does that mean when Jesus isn't physically here on earth? And... Um, Really, the, the, the good thing about that question and the strength of that question is that we are certainly not alone in that. In fact, the vast majority of the disciples of Jesus have faced the exact same circumstance where they haven't physically met Jesus and yet none, uh, nonetheless have been able to be apprenticed by Jesus throughout the generations. And perhaps the the greatest embodiment of this is found in the Apostle Paul. Now, what's fascinating about uh, the Apostle Paul, or in fact, what's just fascinating about the New Testament is, so if I was like put in charge of constructing the New Testament, I would ideally probably delegate out the authoring roles to Jesus. That just, to me, that makes sense. He was God. He kind of knows what he's talking about. And if for some reason that wasn't possible, I would then go, okay, well, at the very least, I'll get the family of Jesus to write the New Testament. But even then we find there's, there's only one book in the Bible that is written by a family member of Jesus. So uh, then next it's going, okay, well, we'll get as close as friends. But even then there's definitely a few more books in there, but that's by no means the majority. Instead, we see the Apostle Paul who met Jesus once, And yet he wrote about 60% of the entire New Testament. 
Which is to say, he found a way to be apprenticed to Jesus despite his limited physical exposure to him. And we really can see the, the foundations on what led to him to be apprenticed to Jesus in the story of Acts chapter nine. And for the sake of time, we won't read through all of it, but just for a bit of context, what uh, the Apostle Paul did before he became a preacher and ended up writing all of these books in the New Testament, he was a zealous religious leader who fought hard to actually dampen or stamp out the Christian movement. So what happens is he's on his way to a town called Damascus. And literally there's almost an irony you can see in the story because he is on the way to trample out the way and then Jesus gets in his way and he ends up being converted to the way. And it's, it's a bit of a sudden moment where Jesus... It doesn't really do any small talk with, with him in this. It isn't like they spent hours together and Paul got to ask him all these questions and had this huge revelation. No, it was just Jesus straight up convicted him. I went, boom, you're blind. Go find God. <laughs> and then dipped. So what we find is, and that's really the first thing that we find that Paul did to be able to be apprenticed to Jesus is he first and foremost met God. Now, for the Apostle Paul, he had a particularly spectacular, I suppose, experience with, with Jesus. But for every single one of us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it means that you have met Jesus. You have met God Himself. And oftentimes it can feel deflating, going, oh man, if only Jesus was here on earth. But the, the glorious advantage that He gave us was as He ascended into heaven, He sent His Spirit down to us. Which means that when we meet Jesus, it isn't just Jesus uh, being met on the outside, like another person where we can shake His hand, but then He can walk off. Instead, now Jesus lives inside of me. The Spirit of God lives inside of me, which means that I get unique advantages that even the 12 apostles didn't get when they were with Jesus. So the first thing that he did was he met God. The second thing he did was he met the church. He met other followers of Jesus. The remarkable thing, and this is really telling of how important community is, is Jesus convicts him and then immediately tells him to go find another Jesus follower. That was the very first step. Which means from the get-go, our faith is designed to be done in community. And this is why I, I struggle with the idea of, of perhaps doing a faith where, yeah, sure, you love Jesus, but you don't know about the church. But I, I, I gotta let you know, Jesus isn't coming back for me individually. He's coming back for the church. Which means that as I align myself and bring myself into the church, as I grow in my faith, as I see how people do their faith journey, I'm able to be moulded more into Him. Um, the Apostle Paul later writes in 2 Timothy, sorry, wrong one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is perhaps the most practical of all points. Do you want to know what Jesus looks like? Look at your pastors, look at your leaders, look at your friends, look at the ways that they're being changed and the ways that they're being moulded. And chances are, as, as you follow in their footsteps and as they follow in your footsteps, we're gonna, over time, become more and more like Christ. 
And the third thing that, um, that the Apostle Paul had was the Word of God. It's so striking to me as, as you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, just how well he knew Scripture. And a lot of that was from his prior life where he dedicated his entire uh, adult and childhood towards memorizing the Scriptures. He knew it better than perhaps anyone else ever would. And yet it was when he met Jesus, um, he, he recounts later that he had to almost spend three years just rethinking everything he had ever known and to realize how Jesus was the central figure, the main character of this story over, uh, after all. And um, with that, we see him later write in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Do you know how, at least personally, I know the Bible is the Word of God? I don't think I would ever read another book that was so confusing and in so many parts so boring and still want to go back to it. I remember the first time I tried reading Scripture, um, 99% of it was just questions and confusion and going, why on earth is everyone making such a big deal out of this thing? I, how does this apply to my life? However, there was just 1% that just changed something in me. That just sparked something in my heart. That 1% was just enough for me to go back again. As I've been able to just learn more about Scripture and I'm definitely so, so far from finishing learning about it. I found that over the years, really the journey of me coming to understand the Bible and appreciate the Bible and to really just let it integrate in my life, the more I've found that I've also been changed by it. And I almost wonder if God made it confusing to us by design because it forces us to go to Him with questions and it forces us to go to community, to talk to other people who perhaps have the same questions and see if we can find an answer. Uh, it's led me down incredible paths where I've, I've been able to do Bible college because I just, I just wanted to know more about this thing. And in it, there's been so many things that have been built into me and through me because of the simple seeking of just getting to know the Word of God, even just that little bit more. And now I'm like 80% confusing, 20% makes sense. But man, I'm, I'm so excited to get to 21%. Because as we continue on this journey of learning Scripture, I want to encourage you. It's going to be the journey of your faith itself through it. So as we um, continue along this series and beyond, I, I would invite you to just continue in this larger perspective of our faith. 
uh, we're, we're just so privileged to get to inherit really this faith that's lasted throughout the generations. And somehow despite it feeling like it, it might've come to an end many, many times over throughout history, it's still kept on and God has still moved through His church and He's still grown it and He's still been able to see the kingdom of heaven down on earth. And we get to be a part of that story. We get to be a part of seeing God's kingdom here in us and here in the world around us. And so with this, I wanna give us some real practical ways as we begin to more and more broaden our understanding of what our faith really means as we look at it through a first century lens and um, as we use these foundational steps and we're gonna talk about a few more things throughout this series of real practical ways to develop our faith. I I would encourage you to actually ask yourself these four questions and I might even challenge you to put a deadline on this. Get, just answer these questions within the next 24 hours, whether you go home from church tonight or first thing in the morning. Ask yourself the question, since becoming a Christian, what has changed in my career? What has changed in my family? What has changed in my friendships? And what has changed in my spare time? And if your answer is nothing, that's, hey, that's okay, because the next question can then be, what needs to change? And I would encourage you even further, just pick one thing for each of those categories. Don't, don't go for a whole essay on every single one of them because let's be real, you're just not going to get to it. <laughs> but just one thing, just one thing we can do to allow Christ to apprentice us, to change us, to mould us even just that little bit more. With that, let's pray. God, I thank You for this incredible journey that You get to take us through as we don't just have a one-time experience with You, but instead we know You are so much more personal and care so much more about us to leave us the way that we are. God, I pray that as we continue along this series of The Way and as we learn these practical steps that we would be able to just reflect you a little bit more. That we'll be able to fall in love with you a little bit deeper. That we'll be able to just shine you a little bit brighter. In Jesus' name.